Today I want to talk about what it means to have a public faith. Yes, our faith in Jesus Christ is deeply personal, but it is never to remain private. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said you would actually be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned last week, in rapid succession, you see men and women converted to the message of and movement of Christianity. All because the early church practiced a public faith. One of those radical conversions was a Pharisee by the name of Saul. Saul was converted by Jesus Christ, became a missionary for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and through his conversion experience, changed his name from Saul to Paul. And Paul takes this message and takes his public faith all the way to the cultural center of the universe, which was Athens. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 16, Paul's missionary journey to the center of the world, the cultural center of the universe, Athens. We read of Paul demonstrating a public faith. Acts 17, verses 16 through 28. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. 
Religion is fine, just keep it to yourself. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Your religion, your beliefs, your convictions are fine. But just please do not bother me with your convictions and your beliefs. Just keep it to yourself. You see, one of the problems with Christianity from the very beginning was that it declared that God had come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ, and he had come to not be Lord in private, but to be Lord in public. He see, he came to be the Lord of all the heavens and the earth. And so from the very beginning, men like Paul had no choice but to demonstrate a very public faith. As I said, yes, a faith that is deeply personal, but a faith that is never to remain private. You see, Christianity is not a message and a movement that simply fits into our agenda. It becomes our agenda. It no longer just is convenient for our private lives, but it shapes and influences our public lives as well. Christianity is not just what we believe in private, it is how it is manifest in our public life and work. Christianity has never been a message of just Jesus and me, but a message that influences us in such a way that it boldly declares and demonstrates that Jesus is Lord of all. And so looking at the life of Paul this morning in Acts chapter 17, how can we today understand what it means to live a public, outward-facing faith? What does a public faith look like? Well, the first thing I want you to see is that to have a public faith means we must engage the culture. It requires us to engage the culture into which we've been placed. Now, you see here in verse 17 that the Apostle Paul, yes, he does go to where the devout and the religious are. He does go to the synagogue. But in verse 17, he also goes to the marketplace and begins to talk about his faith. He begins to talk about Jesus Christ. Now, in the 21st century, we see the word marketplace and we get hung up. We think of marketplace as publics. We think of the marketplace as target. But in the first century, the ancient marketplace was the center of where cultural ideas were debated. It's where the artist went to create new art. It's where the musicians gathered to create new music. It's where politicians gathered to debate. It's where philosophers could be found to talk about new ideas. The marketplace in Athens was the place where a society's morals, where a society's ideas and life would be shaped and impacted and influenced. So if Athens was the cultural center of the universe, the marketplace was the center of the center. If there was one place Paul said, I need to go in order for Christianity to impact the culture and to impact the world, I must go to Athens. And I must not keep my faith to myself but go to the center of the center of the cultural universe. This is what it means to shape a society's and culture's worldview. 
Paul understood that if Jesus is Lord of all, there's only one logical thing to do, to go to the center of it all, to not keep this faith to myself, to not just keep it in the synagogues and the houses of worship, but go into the marketplace, into the public square of ideas and allow it to shape the culture in Athens and beyond. It was the only logical and reasonable thing to do. But it's the only logical and reasonable thing for you to do if Jesus is truly Lord of all. You see, this was the first century. In the first century, Athens was the cultural capital of the world. But 2,000 years later, guess where you live? The United Nations three years ago named South Florida as one of the most culturally influential regions in all of the world only next to Dubai and Singapore. You, if Coral Ridge is your church home and you live in South Florida, God has uniquely positioned this church and you to be in one of the cultural capitals in all of the world. And I say, what an opportunity to shape this cultural moment. This is our vision, to be gospel-centered, culture-shaping Christians, and God has providentially placed you right in the heart of it all for such a time as this. And just as Paul said, God forbid that I keep this faith to myself, I say to you this morning, God forbid, if anybody who calls Coral Ridge their church home, that anybody that knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior would dare to keep this Jesus to themselves. What an opportunity we have to shape the culture, to shape this cultural moment, to have a public outward facing faith requires us to roll up our sleeves, to go into the heart of it all and to engage our culture. The second requirement is that to have a public faith, we must declare the greatness of God In verse 22, Paul moves from the marketplace to a place called the Areopagus. The Areopagus was set up on a hill above Athens, and it was where all of the philosophers and the politicians and other cultural elites gathered to debate all of these ideas that were coming out of the marketplace. So picture this, they would gather in the marketplace, they would hear all of these new ideas concerning politics and art and culture and society and religion, and the cultural elites would gather in the Areopagus and they would decide, these will be the things that we believe, these will be the things that we embrace. And it shaped the morality and the life and the actions of an entire society, and because of Athens' influence, shaped the entire known world at the time. And of all people, Paul is invited in, continuing to engage his culture, and he's invited into this council to preach a sermon. Little did they know what he was about to say. And he first gives them a compliment. And he says in verses 21 and 22, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he says, I notice that you're very religious. I've walked around your city. I've seen the altars. I've seen the gods that you worship. But in verse 22, he does something brilliant. Paul says, I notice there's an altar even to an unknown God. And he from there begins to declare to them this God that is unknown. And what Paul is doing is significant. You need to not miss this. Paul is acknowledging that even the most brilliant men 
in this society. Even the cultural leaders and elites, even you long for a God that is beyond this world. Even you long for a God that you cannot fashion in your own image. And he begins to declare to them this God that is unknown to them. And he says, let me make him known to you. And he begins to tell them about the God that has changed his life. He begins to tell them the good news of God's gospel, that God has come down in the person of Jesus Christ. And he uses the, the story and the reality of the altar of the unknown God to point people to the only way in which they can be saved. And he declares to them the greatness of this God. And it's interesting what he says. He says, this God is so great, this unknown God, he is far greater than anything you could have created, far greater than anything you could have fashioned in your own image. He is the creator God after all. Verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being, that he is the sustainer and the creator of all things. And so he declares to them the greatness of this God far bigger than anything you can comprehend or imagine. But then he says this to them in verse 27, but this same God is the God that you can know and you can see and you can experience that this God who created the heavens and the earth is the same God who desires to draw near in the person of Jesus Christ. You can't make up a God like this. So great and so big and so sovereign bigger than you could ever, ever imagined, but so close and so near and so imminent than you could have ever hoped for. Only the Christian can present this God. Only Paul could have presented in the midst of this cultural epicenter of the universe a God like this. And I want to say to you this morning, only you if you know Jesus Christ, can present this God to a hopeless world and a broken culture in this cultural moment, in a world that is watching their idols crash and burn, in a cultural moment that is watching the gods that this world has created in their own image being tossed aside that we've placed our hope in things that are man-made. We've placed our hope in leaders and systems and powers under the sun. Only the Christian has the opportunity, but let me say the privilege, to declare to a lost and dying world in a broken and dark culture the greatness of our God. Only you have the power and the ability and the capacity to declare the greatness of God and may it be the testimony of thousands throughout South Florida that they look to Coral Ridge and they don't point to our greatness, but they point to the greatness of our God. That we, through our words and through our actions and through our life and through our ministry, like Paul taking the hope of the gospel to the center of our culture here in South Florida, and we are able to declare that there is no God like our God. What a moment we have. What an opportunity. Only the Christian, only the wo those that have been saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ 
can give our world the God that they long for, but they never thought was a reality, to give them a picture of this unknown God and say, there is no God like mine. The public faith of a Christian requires us to declare the greatness of God above any other God. And so a public faith requires us to engage our culture. It requires us to declare the greatness of God. And third and last, it requires us to live a cross-centered life. You see, back in verse 16, we're told that Paul was assessing the culture and he was walking around waiting and he was walking through the streets of Athens And in verse 16, it says his spirit was provoked. Underline that word provoked. It is a powerful word. The word provoked means to be greatly distressed, to have a complex combination of indignation on the one hand, but compassion on the other. His spirit was provoked to be indignant, but at the very same time be compassionate. Now you say, that's an oxymoron. You're either indignant or compassionate. How in the world could you have a spirit that is provoked? You need a cross at the middle of your life. You see, it was the answer of the cross that informed Paul how he was to exist and how he was to carry out his ministry with a cross at the center. You say, pastor, what are you talking about? You see, it was at the cross of Jesus Christ that on the one hand declared to the world that God is so righteous and so holy that he is so indignant because of our sin that someone has to pay the price. But that same cross also declared that he is so loving and so compassionate that instead of putting you on the cross, he would not even spare his own son Only the cross of Jesus Christ can inform that type of response. And for us to be effective missionaries like the Apostle Paul, your life and your ministry needs a cross at its center so that you would be provoked not just with indignation at this cultural moment, but you'd be provoked with a spirit of compassion. You see, if we just have indignation at our world... We will lose the fight. But on the other hand, if we simply have compassion and bow down and water down our message, we will lose the fight as well. And only the cross is able to give us that biblical balance and that center to both be indignant and have a righteous anger concerning the cultural moment, but full of grace and love and compassion. This is where Paul learned it from, and it empowered his ministry. The only reason Paul was effective was because he had a cross at the center of his life and at the center of his ministry. And the only way we will be effective missionaries for the glory of God in the 21st century is if we have a cross at the center of our lives and our ministry as well. We're told that Paul went on to proclaim the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection The passage tells us that some doubted, some mocked, and some sneered. By the way, isn't it good news and just a level of comfort that even Paul was rejected? That even Paul and his message and his ministry were rejected? 
because it's not Paul being rejected. It's the message of the gospel and the cross that they're rejecting and doubting. And just as Paul was rejected and mocked, you will be rejected and mocked as well for your stance for truth, for your passion for the gospel. But have no fear because you have a cross at the center of your life and you have a cross at the center of your ministry. But it does say that some believed. Some believed in the midst of mockery, in the midst of doubting. It says that some believed, and I have no doubt this morning that there are some here that doubt. There might even be some here this morning or maybe listening to this message that are mocking the message of Jesus Christ. But I have no doubt that some are ready to believe. And if that's you this morning, and for the first time in your life, you are ready to believe And the Bible says this is your day, the day of your salvation. You see, it's this simple. The Apostle Paul will go on to say in the letter of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So I asked you this morning, are you ready to believe? In a world and a culture full of mockery and full of doubt and fear, might God be calling you home today? That you can say, on Mother's Day 2021, I was lost, but because of Jesus, now I'm found. Because of Jesus, I was blind, but now I see. Would you come home and would you believe? A pastor was reflecting on a new convert and a new member to his church. Her name was Judith. He writes, Judith had an alcoholic husband and a drug-addicted son. She had kept her life and her family together for years for attending 12-step meetings. But one Sunday, she was about 40 years old at the time, she entered the church where I was the pastor. She came at the invitation of some friends. They said, you need to come to our church. She had never been to church before. She knew nothing about the church. She was raised in a morally upright home, but had no acquaintance with institutional or formal religion. In her family, God was not part of their working vocabulary. She was well-read in poetry and politics, psychology, and knew a great deal of art and artists, but she'd never read the Bible. If she had heard the stories in the Bible, she had paid no attention to them. As far as she recalls, she doesn't think she had ever been in a church before. But something, though, caught her attention when she entered this church, and so she decided to continue to come. In a few months, she committed her life to Jesus Christ, and I became her pastor. I loved observing and listening to her. Everything was new. Scriptures, worship, prayer, baptism, communion, the church. It was a tonic to me to hear and see her excitement with things that I just had known my whole life. All her questions were exclamations. Where have I been all my life? These stories are incredible. Why didn't anyone tell me? How come this has been going on all around me and I never knew? But probably the most sobering question of all, how come nobody ever told me about Jesus until now? And I pray that it is a sobering question for you today. We have a culture 
in a world that is dying and desperate for the good news of Jesus Christ. What are we doing about it? A culture longing to know the unknown God, longing to know that there is a God that rights all wrongs, a God that enters into our brokenness and brings hope to the hopeless. This is our message. This is our time. This is our calling for such a time as this, to bring this Jesus to the center of our culture and ultimately to the center of our world. And may it never be said about those that come to Coleridge Presbyterian Church that we knew this Jesus, but we kept it from the world that is lost and dying. But instead, may the testimony be of this church that that church proclaims and declares and demonstrates the greatness of God in the person of Jesus Christ and in the midst of a culture that says religion is fine, just keep it to yourself, we're able to say, if Christ is truly this amazing, how dare we keep it from anyone?